Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. to the first ever female edition of Morning Footy for yesterday's <laughs> Women's go. World Cup final, which ended very sadly for some, Spain beat England <laughs> by a goal to know. We've got all the reaction coming. I'm Poppy Miller here with Jordan Angeli, Jenny Chu and Lisa Carlin. It's so nice to be here together. Good morning, girls. How are we feeling? Good morning. We're feeling good. A little sad, I yeah. would say, that the World Cup is over. It's always this big build-up, and then we've we've made it to the end. But I would say we, we, we got the best World Cup final we oh, could get. What are you talking about, guys? We got a little bit more sleep because we weren't up at random times. Not yet. We were up at tomorrow. 6 a.m. yesterday. <laughs> tomorrow is better. <laughs> at least your first time on Morning Footy. Yes, Welcome thank to you the for crew. having me, ladies. I'm happy to yeah. be here. We're, I'm doing a little better than you, Poppy. I know you're pretty sad after this one, as am I for you. My heart breaks for for you and the English people, but it was the best final I think we could have hoped for. The two best teams made it to the end. Yeah, I think so too. And I think honestly, it pains me to say this, but the best team went on the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And England had such a great run in the competition, but they were outplayed by Spain. It felt like they couldn't match up to their level. Uh, they couldn't keep up with them. Let's take a look at the highlights, and then we'll talk more about it. Because as we mentioned, there was only a goal in it, but there was several chances and it was such an end-to-end -end game, but what a magnificent occasion. And it could have ended very differently because Rachel Daly just sets this up for Hemp to send it into the back of the net, and it misses by millimeters, I should say. Uh, but you mentioned the, the way that Spain was playing set them up, and it is the goal scorer from the semifinal, Olga Cormona, Cormona, who puts it in the back of the net, far post, beautiful finish, left-footed. I loved the finish, and it could have been more for Spain, but they get to lift the trophy in the end. The first time they ever won. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the left back to be scoring that goal for the second time in a row is just incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for Spain, their first major final, and they won it. The biggest one of all. Here's a look at the full-time match stats. Spain had five shots on target. One is all that they needed. And let's not forget as well, they even had a penalty mm. that they missed, which I felt like could have been a really defining moment in the game because obviously 1-0 is such a slim lead to have Lisa, but then when Spain missed the penalty, England really then got into some good momentum. That could have been a big momentum shift for England. It came just before the 70th minute, and at that point, Spain had been battling to keep it scoreless, right? They hadn't 
played throughout the World Cup with a lead that long because they scored in just the 30th minute. So at this point, it was a chance for England to take back a little bit of the game. Instead, it just continued to propel Spain forward, dominate possession, dominate the, the ball completely. As soon as they lost it, the counter press, their, their win back time on the ball must have been seconds because it felt like England didn't have possession at all, especially the last 20 minutes of this match. Yeah, props to Mary Earps there on that save, though. It wasn't yes. just a, a miss. It was the fact that she had a massive save and she had a great game, too. Yeah, she absolutely did. For Spain, it was, it, it was interesting to see them come through the group stage because this team was really tested. They lost heavily to Japan. For them to then bounce back and to do it without a lot of their key players and then for Alexia Pateas to not play as big a role as many were expecting felt like that made the win even more impressive for them in some ways. This win is impressive in a lot of ways for this Spanish squad and everything that they've been through. But the the test, I've, I've said it a lot on attacking third that I feel like the teams that end up winning the World Cup have a test in the group stage. And it doesn't always have to be a loss. For Spain, it was a massive loss. Mm -hmm. They got worked by Japan when it comes to the, the tactics, the counter attacks that Japan beat them with four counter attacks. And they never got beat. The Spain team never got beat again on a counter attack. They adjusted their defense. I thought Paredes, their center back, who has played in every single World Cup game that they've ever had since 2015 till now, they've only played three World Cups. And she's played in every and game. And now they won. Talk about efficiency. Yeah, <laughs> she did a really good job of adjusting and adapting and saying, okay, we got We have to manage transition moments, especially against England, who probably thought they weren't going to have a lot of the ball. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Spain gave them any space in behind. Tactically, they outplayed England. And, and unfortunately for Serena Vigman, she had – the, the tactics right throughout the whole tournament and not mm. today and not on, really? on the final. I, I, thought, I thought that she did get the tactics right in the final. That's what I was just about to say. You know, to not start Lauren James was a big question mark. I like to see her come in off the bench. She said after we, we changed things around at halftime, we got into some momentum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but they, they should have started like that. They were looking at what Spain gave them. Did you think that she got I, it yes. wrong from the beginning? I think they should have okay. started in a 4-3-3 because with the... the players that they have on the front line and the speed that they can attack with, it felt like in the second half it, it opened up. Mm -hmm. And they were they had more possession. Kira Walsh was in the game again. Yeah, in the first she, half she wasn't very much, correct. I'm shocked that they took out Alicia Russo at halftime. That, that was, was a player that yeah. should have continued to play. She had a lot of opportunities in behind on the right side. She was continuously attacking. She was involved in the moments of possession and offense that England did have throughout this game. So tactically, she should have played the entirety of the game. Yeah, when we talk about tactically, though, I think that we can now look back and say, oh, she made a mistake because at halftime there was a change yes. in the way that they were playing and having Lauren James come in as an impact player and as a spark looked better for them in that. But when you're starting the game and she makes that decision, you're like, well, it could have gone either way. Hindsight you know? is easy. Of course. Yeah. It could have gone either yeah. way starting that game. And then you see at halftime that things change. And now you can say, oh, she made the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Not that anyone said that like that. But, you know, now we can look back and say, okay, yeah, maybe that's how she should have started. But in that moment, it was the right decision for their team. And... Spain was the better team on the day. Yeah. That's the reality. And tactically, when you look at it, Spain outplayed them in the first 45 minutes. So that's why it's easy to say England didn't have the right tactics Correct. in this final game because Spain came with all of the right tactics in this final. They just never let England near the ball. I was When right. I was watching, I felt tired for England because I thought, <laughs> you're just chasing them around. Yes. You can't get exactly, control of probably. the tempo of the game. You can't get control of the ball. Just very quickly, one of the moments as well, that really stood out was the uh, decision not to send off Selma Paro Uelo because 
she was on a yellow card, and then to blatantly kick the ball away for time-wasting is another yellow card. So she should have really been sent off with at least 10 minutes to go, which also could have changed things massively. No, yeah, it's a clear a, yellow card. How much added time yeah, as well? 10 minutes, there, there 13 was a minutes. Time. It, it could have been different. I thought all in all, Tori Penso managed this game pretty well. I know you're going to disagree with me as the English <laughs> member of our panel because she didn't give yellow cards out early in the game where I think there could have been. But that's been. the easiest one to give. If you're it, it referee the 101, one that's the, it's not a challenge where you think, ah, this is a big moment to give a second yellow. You're telling me you would give a yellow card in that situation with the game stake at hand. 100%. You would give a yellow. That, for me, that's black and white. It's almost like offside. Mm. Is it on or is it off? If you kick the ball away... To time waste, it is an immediate yellow card, regardless if you know, you're on one or not. Poppy, I don't disagree with you. You know, you're absolutely bringing up a great point. And as an England fan, I understand you bringing up that point. But I think that to even go backwards, Parayuelo starting the game was a decision that was made and that changed the impact of the game or changed how the game played out in the way that they kind of changed their formation, Jordan. This is the tactics I'm talking about. You know, they, we talked about Jorge Vilda and how he was making the right decisions throughout the whole entire tournament. He starts Parayuelo as a nine. Yeah. And against this English back three, who have shown that there are moments that in transition with a little bit of space in behind them they can be get, get at, got at. And I felt like Parayuelo starting was the right call because she just was going at this back line. Um, it was it was a good because then then you can bring the the two wingers on that play in the pocket sometimes. But overall, the, the midfield dominated this game. Yeah, it was the midfield of Abiera, Bonmati, and Hermoso who bossed. Absolutely boss. It, that's how the goal comes for Spain as well. It, it's, it's in the midfield because they collapse mm. around um, Lucy, Lucy Bronze, who, mm. who drives in from the outside back position centrally, and there's four players around her. They win the ball, and it's the key moment for Aviera, who has been the, my star of this tournament and for the Spain side, because she has the awareness to know that there's space in that spot where Lucy Bronze just came from, and then the overlapping run from Carmona is brilliant and the one-time finish, but it, it's understanding the awareness of the players on the field, where they are, the spaces that they have occupied previously, and now the spaces that are open. And that's what Spain did so well. Even in slowing down England's transition game, as soon as England got the ball and were looking to push, there was seven or eight Spain players behind the ball immediately. Spain was way more aggressive. Like yes. I think they came into this knowing that they were going to have to win the first and second balls. They were going to have to be physical. And that's not typically the Spanish squad. And they outmanaged the, the midfield and the first and second balls with England, which is not an easy task to do. Yeah. So difficult to be Lucy Bronze, though, Poppy, because that's so out of character yeah. for her to go yeah. inside. I think she was, like, looking for an outlet, looking for an outlet, yeah. looking for an outlet, and then didn't find it, so she continued to dribble inside, inside. She gets pickpocketed, and just as Lisa pointed out, the place where the space was was where Lucy Bronze had just vacated, and Spain just got it perfectly right there. Which is heartbreaking there. for Lucy Bronze because she's been such uh, a huge – with what is such a young squad for England, she's been such a big part of it and such a veteran – on this team as well and seeing the post-game images of her was was really heartbreaking. Uh, we're going to talk plenty more about this game and about the World Cup later on in the show, but just uh, to, to finish on a somber moment after the World Cup, the final whistle, Olga Carmona, the goal scorer from the game, uh, had her celebrations muted by the news that she learned of her father's passing shortly after the final. The 23-year-old Real Madrid standout scored the only goal in the final, was told of her father's death from a lengthy illness after the final. He did die on Friday, but she was not told until after the final whistle. Then she posted this tribute on her social media. Uh, our thoughts with her and her family 
during this devastating time. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, later on today, plenty more reaction to the World Cup with the girls on Attacking Third who are here with me today, Jordan, Jenny and Lisa. So much to look forward to on that show. Are you going to have enough time in just an hour, do you think? No, we, we never have <laughs> enough time. We always leave there thinking, gosh, there's more to talk about. But we have a good time. Yeah, we and sure you've got do. NWSL to talk about as well. Sandra Herrera will be joining, yeah. so make sure you tune in uh, to that. But here also with our girl gang today, Ali Trost Martin joins us. And you've got some headlines for us, Ali. Hey, Pops. Yeah, look at all this girl power today on set. <laughs> Loving it. Looking forward to attacking third later as well. But as for the headlines, we kicked things off with Americans abroad transfer news. Tyler Adams has completed his move to Bournemouth from Leeds in a reported $25 million deal that was announced yesterday. Adams' new five-year contract with Bournemouth comes after a potential move to Chelsea fell through. And so that is what is going on with Tyler Adams. But staying with U.S. Men's National Team transfer news, Serginho Dest is the latest American to join PSV. The American fullback has completed a loan from FC Barcelona after his bid to stay with the Spanish champions fell short. Dest's return to the Dutch League will team him up with fellow Americans Ricardo Pepe and Malik Tillman at PSV. And in other transfer news, PSG appears to have succeeded in keeping Kylian Mbappe for the new season, and they are moving closer to adding some attacking firepower to help replace Neymar and Lionel Messi. According to multiple reports, PSG is putting together an improved $76 million offer for French forward Rando Colo Muani. After having an initial $71 million bid rejected by Eintracht Frankfurt, Tottenham has been linked to Kolo uh, Muani, but he reportedly prefers to join PSG. And in international soccer news, Luciano Spalletti has officially been introduced as the new head coach for the Italian national team. Spalletti is fresh off of leading Napoli to the Serie A title last season before stepping down with one year left on his contract. He'll replace Roberto Mancini, who stepped down after five years and will officially take charge on September 1st on a contract that will run through the 2026 World Cup. And moving over to women's soccer, Spanish Federation President Luis Rubiales was at the center of controversy following Spain's World Cup final win on Sunday during the on-field medal ceremony. Rubiales kissed midfielder Jenny Hermoso on the lips. The moment was caught on broadcast and shared all over social media, which led to widespread criticism. Hermoso downplayed the incident later on Sunday, saying, quote, it was the emotion of the moment. There's nothing else there. It's no big deal. I don't know, Lisa, what was your reaction initially when you saw this? Because I think there are a lot of different takes going around on, on what transpired, unfortunately. I, I was caught off guard. I thought it was abrupt and a little abrasive. She looked shocked watching it live in, in the video and in the moment. Um, of course, it's a cultural thing, and there are different elements and layers of that mm -hmm. to this and, and the celebration. But to me, as an American, I was shocked to see this um, inappropriate and, and disgusted to watch it live. Well, you never like to see things like that dominate the headlines after what should be just talk about mm -hmm. Spain winning the World Cup. So mm -hmm. anytime something exactly. takes away and distracts from that, I think it always, it just feels 
little. Well, not I think right. that that's a that's a choice, Ali. You know, like how yeah. you decide to cover that. I think that Jenny Hermoso immediately said, like, you know, the quote that you mentioned that it was a mutual, spontaneous moment of intense joy mm -hmm. uh, of winning the World Cup. We have a great relationship with the president. His behavior with all of us has been a 10, has been exemplary. Um, it was a natural gesture of admiration. And she said, there's no need to overanalyze it about a gesture of admiration and gratitude. We won a World Cup. Let's not distract ourselves from what's important. And I think that if you're hearing that from the player, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the potential person who had the gesture done to them, yeah. I think you take right. that into account and you listen to if she needed to ring alarm bells, we've yeah. seen that Jenny Hermoso has the ability to do so. If and only has. social media were the same way, right? <laughs> well, people are well. taking the, the quote out of context and saying that she said um, that no, she didn't enjoy it. And that's the only part they're clipping. And I think yeah. that that is really damaging. Context matters for sure. Yeah, and I, I think it's cultural too. And I'm not saying that the kiss on the lips was right. I'm not saying that that was the right, right. moment to do something like that. But in, in Spain, I. I even in England, I've had an English coach kiss me on the cheek after a game. I also did not like it, but I understand affection and emotion is expressed in different ways in different cultures. Was it the right thing to do? No, but he kissed other players on the cheeks. Yeah. I, this is a huge moment for Spain. It's, I, I choose to focus on the players and what they accomplish because in three World Cups, they manage their yeah. way to go from nothing to everything, and that should be celebrated. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, well said, Jordan. And it was nice to see her come out and say that statement, put everything to bed. But unfortunately, it's in the headlines, so we are yep. also going to talk right, about it, right. as is everybody else. We're also going to talk about the Leagues Cup next after this short break. Nico Cantor is going to join us to discuss what a night it was for Leo Messi and into Miami in Nashville. We'll be right back. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus. With their first trophy 90 minutes away for both Nashville and Inter Miami. special night that was for Inter Miami in Nashville. It was once again the Leo Messi show. And Jenny, you were actually in Nashville, weren't you? You got to meet Leo Messi himself <laughs> with the most viral photo of the weekend. I think here it is. What was it like meeting him? 
Um, I was starstruck. People were commenting about how my smile is like the biggest they've ever seen it. I'm like, yeah, it's Leo Messi. That's like a dream come true of all of all dreams. Um, incredible to be there. I mean, the atmosphere for Nashville was amazing. The stadium is great. That's my first time being in that stadium awesome specifically. Stadium. Um, super impressed. And to cap it off with meeting one of my heroes, like one of the beautiful moments of my childhood is my dad admiring Leo Messi. So we watched him play since I was like eight, nine years old and admired everything that he brought to the game. So for this to be like a full circle moment and to meet him is just incredible for me. I, I know it went on social and now we're talking about it on the show, but you've got to print that out. Get it in a oh, nice Oh, absolutely. Frame. I'm framing that. I'm sending for it to sure. my dad and it's 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 a whole moment. Is this who you guys were rooting for too? We got Miami <laughs> yes, versus Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> unintentional. <laughs> today. Uh, what was he like though with everybody? Because I can only imagine everybody wants a picture with Messi. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants his shirt. He, he You need like 10 of him out on the pitch. Yeah. He just seems like he has so much time for everybody, though. He is the most humble person ever. I mean, just as we see in the media that he's very quiet and doesn't like love the media attention, but he just loves his football and his family, that's exactly what he is. He was with Antonella. He was taking pictures with his family. Really, there's so much joy that we see in him now being at Inter Miami that we didn't see when he was at PSG that is just such a, I don't know, kind of a beautiful transformation. As someone yeah. who has followed him and admired his career and him as a person and how he's carried himself throughout his mm -hmm. career, it's just... Uh, it's just You're happy a for... Like, everybody's yeah. happy for him to experience these things really with his family right yeah. there next to him. He does yeah. seem like he's... Having he a lot of fun. He looks happy Poppy. when he's playing. Yes. Yeah. And I think, as we know, it's just difficult to even get a ticket to watch him play, <laughs> let alone to be on the pitch with him. Uh, Nico Cantor joins us now as well from Miami. Nico, good morning. Good to see you. It's weird not having you here on the desk. By the way, what was your reaction to Jenny meeting Leo Messi yeah. this weekend? <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah, so I got two extra hours of sleep, which is great. Mm, lovely. But I do miss being on, on the set with you guys on the desk. Um, watching Jenny's picture was kind of out of nowhere. I know she posted it on the field, so it was like, oh my God, she literally just got this shot. Um, it was awesome to see. Jenny, I'm super happy to be for you. Low-key, envious, maybe high-key envious at that moment, <laughs> but it was amazing that you got to... Uh, that you got to experience. What did you, what did, what did you tell him? <laughs> so, okay, I'll tell you how it happened, okay? Um, so Kamal Miller, I used to cover when I was at Orlando City. So we're friends from when I was a sideline reporter there. He came up, I congratulated him for his performance, and I had spoken to him during the um, CONCACAF stuff because he was with Canada, and I had mentioned to him, hey, you guys are getting messy soon. And so we had previewed the conversation, and so I kind of completed it and said, hey, you've been playing well? You're starting in lineup with Messi? How has it been? So we were chatting, and then Messi was right there, and I turned to him and I said, oh my gosh, it's Lionel Messi. And he goes, do you want a picture? I said, absolutely, I want a picture. <laughs> and he walks up to him, and there's clearly a language barrier, oh, and he says, awesome. um, foto, mi amiga? Mi amiga? <laughs> and Lil was just so gracious, and he said, yeah, one second, turned around, came for the picture, um, even stayed for my boyfriend to jump in the picture with me, even though my boyfriend was like, no, no, I don't want to be in the picture. I was like, yes, you do. Yeah. It's messy, we don't get this again. <laughs> That's one oh, of the things awesome. after as well that you're going to regret if you don't do Absolutely. it in the moment. Nico, another really nice moment watching Messi in that game was when they obviously had won the cup, but Messi then gave DeAndre Yedlin the captain's armband back and wanted him to lift the trophy. What does this really say about Messi's character? And what did you think when you saw that play out live? Jenny alluded to it. This moment speaks of his humility, of how important... Uh, his persona makes waves, how big his persona 
is in the locker room. He could have just lifted the trophy because he was the best player on the team. He scored in every single round, top goal scorer, best player of the tournament. But for him to recognize that there were other people already in place, that there was an inner Miami before him, and the fact that he gave Andre Yedlin, it just it's it exudes humility. And strange for an Argentine, right? Um, for, for, for that to be one of his main character traits because we're used to, like, who was Felipe was the one that said that we're allowed brash uh, people in, in Argentina. And the fact that he, he's able to just take a step back. F Felipe asked him in the press conference before this game what, how he felt that he carried so much weight in changing the landscape of American soccer for the better and for the rest of time, he didn't really see it that way, he said. For him, it was just, I'm here playing soccer. And he, may, he creates a change, but he doesn't really consider it. Literally, I think that Messi, all he cares about, like Jenny said, is playing soccer, going out on the field, doing what he loves, And then going back and enjoying time with his family. It's, it's a strange thing because usually people that are this famous, that have this amount of money, that are at unattainable levels of celebrity, have something. And this guy has never had a scandal in his life, has mm -hmm. never said something wrong. So the fact that he's able to stay grounded and be so normal is not normal. <laughs> well, Nico, this was probably the biggest challenge that Inter-Miami has had yet against this Nashville squad. But when Messi gets the ball at the top of the box, Jake Zivin, the play-by-play, -play, says, uh-oh. And, and there was six players <laughs> around Messi, but still, you knew that this was going to be potentially a moment of brilliance. Was this Messi's best goal we've seen yet? And how did, what was your reaction to the rest of the game, how it played out, Drake Callender being the one to, to score the last PK? Surely, I think this is one of the best goals that we've seen for Messi with an inner Miami shirt. The fact that it was in a final. Listen, the degree of difficulty to wiggle his way around Zimmerman and to have two defenders closing in on him and still be able to fire that shot towards the corner, curling away from the goalkeeper. Listen, that's a better shot for a right-footed player because it curls away from the goalkeeper and into the post, but he's able to hit it with his left around the players and around the goalkeeper, but then curl back in. I could analyze Messi goals all day, <laughs> and he's done that his entire career. Um, and when you have a player that, that, like that that's able to produce a little bit of magic suddenly, it also kind of validates Tata Martino's game plan, where sometimes you might feel like the possession was a little bit stale. Inter-Miami wasn't creating too many dangerous opportunities. They weren't threatening. They had the ball, but they weren't threatening. But when Messi comes up with something like that, is able to just clean up a broken play. When, when you're in possession, it gives credit to what Tata Martino wants to do because he visualizes that, hey, Messi can just open up the game all of a sudden and then obligate Nashville to go forward. And that plays right into Inter-Miami's lap. But mind you, towards the second half, there were hints of, okay, this Inter-Miami team needs to be better here and here and here. For example, they shifted down a gear when Nashville really took it up to try to tie this game, to try to even win it. And Inter-Miami stalled out. They, from, from an energy perspective, from a rhythm perspective, 
they couldn't find answers. They weren't asking enough questions of, of, of Nashville, and it was almost like they were on the ropes, and they survived through 90 minutes. So consider that the last 20, 30 minutes of the game when we're looking at these next 12 games in MLS to see if, if Inter-Miami makes the playoffs. That's what I want to ask you about, Nico, because Messi had 10 goals in just this one tournament. There's still Open Cup. There's still MLS regular season. And Inter-Miami was, is at the bottom of the table in the MLS standings. What does the future of this Inter-Miami team look like through U.S. Open Cup and the MLS regular season? So I think Tata Martino, Messi, and the rest of the team is going to take it game by game. You, you can't look ahead and say, all right, if we get this amount of points out of 12 games, we might make the playoffs. First things first, Wednesday, there's a semifinal, there's a trophy on the line. You in 180 minutes, you end up victors, you win another trophy. And for Inter-Miami, who was in shambles before Messi arrived, they were god-awful. For them to leave this season with two trophies in the cabinet, that would be one of the most impressive seasons uh, that I, I can remember for a team that was so limited, so that was that couldn't figure anything out. Um, and now with Messi, with a couple of changes, with new signings, with a great transfer window, with a new manager, you take it day by day. You take it game by game. First up in the semifinal, then you got a couple of games in MLS, and you and and, and you. It's ninety minutes at a time. And then come that 12th game, you might have an opportunity, you might not have an opportunity. But the fact that Inter-Miami walks away from this season already with some silverware is noteworthy. It's crazy, isn't it? It was so nice to see them celebrating David Beckham and Victoria Beckham as well in the stands. <laughs> uh, Nico, thanks so much for getting up early with us this morning and joining us. We'll see you back here soon. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I wanted to give a shout out to all you ladies that have done an incredible job during the Women's World Cup, absolutely destroying your circadian rhythm to bring <laughs> us the best coverage of, of women's soccer, not only here in Morning Footy, but on Attacking Third. So it's been a pleasure to watch this whole month and what we'll see in the future oh. continuing. You're yeah. true, Jen. Aww. Nico, thank you. Thanks, Thanks appreciate it. See you soon. Uh, and just a reminder as well, that Open Cup game that Nico was talking about is coming up on the Golasso Network on Wednesday at Cincinnati against Inter Miami at 7 o'clock Eastern. And then later on, the Dynamo will take on Rail Salt Lake at 9.30. Our coverage starts for you at 6 p.m. Eastern on the Golasso Network. OK, still to come here on Morning Footy, we've got more reacts to the World Cup. Spain are world champions. We're going to break down this special World Cup in more detail after the break. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, it was just heartbreak for England on Sunday at Stadium Australia, losing 1-0 to Spain in the World Cup final. The Lionesses had done so well all competition long. They came in as the European champion, but Jorge Vilda's side came out winners in the end. They have now won the Under-17 World Cup, the Under-20 World Cup, and now this one as well, which really just shows how dominant 
this side has been Jordan? Do you feel like it sets them up to be a real powerhouse in women's football for years to come, given the squad that they have? I do, and this is something that they, when you have that type of success from a youth level to a pro level, or a full team level, this is something where you look at this Spanish squad and there were a number of young players like Parayuelo who set, set the world on notice of what the youth in Spain can do. I feel like we are going to be talking about this Spanish team, not just, just because they won the World Cup, but how they won the World Cup. It was every player. It was the way that they played. Their, their identity is so strong. It is very Spanish. But this, I think, is good. because their identity is strong and it's been through the youth to now the full team, everybody can just seamlessly come up to the, yeah. the full team. And that's the idea. That's what you want to have in a national team program. So, yeah, I think absolutely we're talking about Spain being top five, top three, top, you know, they're going to be top one for a while, but they're not going to fall out of the top five, I don't think, for years to come. And this is such a young team, averaging just over 25 years of age heading into this World Cup. They were missing a lot of their superstar players, but it allowed for these younger players to step up into this system. And as Jordan, you mentioned, the depth of this team and frankly, this nation, you look at the domestic league that just came into play. Their first season mm -hmm. was just a few seasons ago that they had a fully women's professional league in Spain, mm -hmm. and now they're able to do this, rotate players in that have been on the senior national team, have been on youth national teams, are coming in off the bench, and they stick to their system, and their identity is so well known, but they are still so young. Mm -hmm. they, they turn this page, and that's why Spain is going to continue to rise and be a dominant feature. What Lisa mentions there I think is so important, because we talk about um, the U17, U20, and and this World Cup simultaneously. The only time that anyone has ever won all of those not simultaneously is Japan. Um, but it shows the investment into women's soccer. As you mentioned, this is recent. So most of these players are Barcelona and Real Madrid players. But that is a decision from those clubs to make the investment, to put down a game plan and show these players, you know, this is something that we care about and we're going to treat you as professionals. Yeah. And it has shown that it works. What about with how well they've done in the Champions League as well? Because it's exactly. hard to think mm -hmm. about that this Spanish league for the women's side is relatively new, just with how well they did in Germany. It's the same thing with how good the Bundesliga mm -hmm. sides were, but also in England with the WSL. Do you think that we're seeing a big switch now, Jordan, where it used to be before, if you wanted to be at the top of women's football, you come to the States to play. And now it feels like if you want to be at the top of women's football, you're looking for a move to Europe. Would that be fair to say? I think it's fair to say. I think NWSL still has really a lot of good players. And there's a lot of World Cup players that are coming to play in NWSL. So I do think that it's a different, um, the landscape is different now. That you can go to multiple different places and be successful. It's the first time we've had Champions League winners also win the World Cup with those players from Barcelona who also won a World Cup in the same year. So what is happening in Europe, I think, has a lot to do with the success of various women's leagues in the United States over but the years because players had come over. This is Players came over. They understood American soccer that has yeah. been so successful for so long. A lot of that had to do with the physical side of the game. And now you take the technical side of the game from an England, from the Dutch team, from this, this Spanish team mixed with some of the physical attributes that they've learned over the years what's from the, the American team. What's the team. change, though? Has the NWSL come down, or has Europe gone up, or is it a I bit think of Europe both? has gone up. Okay. I, I, think I, th I think that when you have... I think it's too. 
It's the youth, but it's also the competitions. Like, you're only going to get better if you have the top, top competition. I think the Champions League helps a ton in that you're getting to play teams with various systems, with various tactics, with various styles of play from a Germany to a Spain to an England. All those countries play different, right. differently, and, I, and so you're adapting every week. Jordan, I think an important thing to say about NWSL is that we just had our, our reckoning here in, in um, NWSL about treatment and stuff. And I've talked to different players who are like, we are professionals. We don't want to be treated the way NWSL treats. And you're hoping you don't go to certain teams when you're a player. That's not the reality in some of these big teams. They're you know, being treated as incredibly the same um, treatment as the Barcelona players, as the Real Madrid players. You don't think that players want to go there? Chelsea, same treatment as, um, you know, these massive players for Chelsea. They want to go to places where they are treated as professionals and they have the facilities to do so. If they get an injury, they have teams of, ex you know, seven doctors and, and physio physiotherapists that take care of them. If that's not the case here, if you're a player, your standard of living and the way that you will be treated is different, you're going to want to go somewhere else. It feels like European football in, on the women's side has just grown so much over the last couple of years. And even in the last two years, Italy, for example, to see how well the Roma women's team did and for them to have such an incredible attendance at the Stadio Olimpico, same when they play in England with the Premier League stadiums. They're now pushing to say, actually, we don't want to play in our stadium. We want to play in the Premier League stadiums and we want women to come and watch. We want families to come and watch. We want everybody to Supporters, come and watch. Yeah, and yeah. also, it's on TV now, which is a huge thing. It, it's huge. The... The idea that these women, like y your culture, you know, you grew up in England. You live football. You mm -hmm. breathe football. It, that's what the Spanish women said after this. This is something that they've been dreaming of since they were young because that's all you know. And, and I think it's just different here in the United States. And football has become a lot of our lives. Soccer has become a lot of our lives. But it's going to take a few generations to feel what you guys feel um, so even though they I weren't respected on the, the level that they could have been as professionals, maybe they still had the football knowledge mm -hmm. that I don't think is just integrated into our culture. I think it's important to say that, you know, to finish my point, is that there are teams that are making that investment. You know, we talk about those mm -hmm. California teams, and the players have all come out and talked about how their conditions have improved so much, how they have been pros for so many years, and they have never been treated with the respect and just ground level foundational like things where they don't have to worry about being traded in the middle of the season yes. and trade you know these things that kind of consistency and that kind of life decision which we are all people that are making decisions about our lives that comes into play does it come from an even lower level though because i think one of the things that you hear the england women's national team and european teams talk about is they are given opportunities to play when they're young and they're given opportunities to play all through the youth system in America, it's obviously a massive conversation and maybe like <laughs> for another day. Well, how much time do you have? It's difficult to have that because you're having to fund to play here. You're having to pay so much money to play football here. So in Europe, it's a different lifestyle. Is everybody's encouraged to play here. It's more so, yeah. do you have the money to oh, play? Which is a, a bigger US soccer problem overall. And the coaching is different. I think from, you know, yes. maybe a coach in England has the knowledge that, you know, it's just, in, it's ingrained and, in you, the knowledge like of the, football. The but watching of 
love the game. You grow up in, in England mm -hmm. and in Spain watching football all the time. There are so many young American children that don't watch there's even another absolutely. There's even another point to bring up is the fact that in this system, we typically go to college. Yes, um, that is the right. goal is to get yes. a scholarship to go to college, and then you go pro, where in other countries we've seen that's not the case. And now we're seeing players like Trinity Rodman, um, what's her name, uh, Sophia Smith, skip that process, mm -hmm. and that may be part of the development for the United States national team. Whether or not that works for everyone is, yeah. is up to their own lifestyle, but these are all questions to be had at the federation level, at the national level, on if we want to continue to be a top contender, there has to be changes made. You cannot rely on the physicality um, and the fact that we have you know, been a part of the game longer. That is really what we've relied and on for a while. And maybe some of those changes are happening with the NWSL now letting right. younger players play in the league mm -hmm. so they yes. don't necessarily yeah. have to go to college and they don't have to take one route to get to the top, whereas in Europe there's lots of different ways that you could play. But it's still the, the, the bridge to get to that system seems that it needs yeah. a step of improvement further. I, th I think the talent is here in the United States. We, are, we clearly have it. Yeah. It's can we you know, hone it in as best as possible? Can we have the right coaches? Can we have the right coaching education to make sure that these coaches are giving players not just a one-dimensional look, that they, they know how to play in a lot of different systems, mm -hmm. they know how to um, execute game plans. I think that is continuing to get better, and, and Amer we know that in the United States. It needs to get better. And so I think that there's a lot of eyes on that right now, and what is yeah. the coaching system and going to look like? Because the talent's here. Not only well, the coaching system, the Opportunity is the biggest yes. thing. Can people be oh encouraged to play and can Poppy. they have a platform? Beautiful. I mean, I think everyone's brought up great points. The, the, fa the financial aspect, the fact of the culture of watching the game, and then the coaching aspect. To your point on the coaching aspect, we have seen that you know Jill Ellis took, I don't know, 10-something years or some, a great amount of years in the youth system before even being allowed to move her way up, move her way up. What is that system like in other countries in terms of the coaching aspect? We see ex-players that want to be in the game, but what does the you know, a license, I think Brandy mentioned she's an A license coach, look like? What does that, I mean, I'm not well versed enough to talk about it, but what I'm saying is how our system compares to other places and yeah. those and opportunities the in the coaching. There. Yeah. It's path, also the yeah. path to get there and that those changes have been made in the NWSL, whether it's the resources that they're given and the teams and the education and now saying, hey, here are coaching courses that you can take and opening those doors to those players or, or rather letting them know there's this process out there. There's a different path to take mm -hmm. once you retire. Mm -hmm. There's many different ways to go in yeah. in football, which has been your entire life. Can you continue that if you want to? Are yeah. the resources there? and the opportunities. And being united, because I talked to Juan Carlos Amaros, the head coach of Gotham, before the weekend, before his game, and he said the U-17s coach, the U-20s coach, and the full teams coach, they were all on the sideline there for the Spanish squad when they won. Uh, I love that. Nothing makes me happier than great. seeing improvements being made in women's football and it getting to the next step, and we obviously have just seen that in Australia and New Zealand, even with Australia, the host nation, and the love that they've had uh, around them. Well, if you want to hear more from women's football and from uh, Jordan, Jenny, and and Lisa, make sure you join them today and every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 4 o'clock Eastern for Attacking Third on the Glasso Network, CBS Sports and Pluto TV. Stay with us though next here on Morning Footy. Anita Jones is going to join us to talk about the Women's World Cup and everything that we've seen over in the Premier League this past weekend. We'll be right back.
baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.